created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unsaid is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid. I'm your host, Carl Dezier, and as always, I am excited. But today, I'm very excited. More excited than normal for this guest to come on and talk. I don't know. See, me and, me and Jason, we've known each other for, for a little bit, and our conversations usually go everywhere. We're going to try to keep it on track. But this, I, I just can't wait for y'all to, to hear what he has to say jason can you just go ahead and introduce yourself before i ramble on forever for sure um no thank you carl i'm sitting here kind of like smiling you can see me like beaming um <laughs> it's so good to, to be on the pod and yeah, yeah always listening so it's funny like to actually be on it like it's kind of crazy but um, you are you are our number one listener like, you alone <laughs> are our number one listener <laughs> every episode without fail every app for sure i yeah i'm I'm Jason Toure. Um, I'm the founder of Black Unicorn, which is a, a culture company. Primarily, currently, we're a consulting firm and we work with challenger brands like Girlfriend Collective and Harry's, Maud, the sex toy, sex well, sexual wellness um, brand, um, Dame products in that world as well. Billy, the kind of women's first um, razor brand. We've done work historically with, with Glossier and Bumble and Away and Harry's and companies like that. And I plug in to some of those companies as their, let's say, VP of people um, as a consultant, but do a lot of headhunting work and do a lot of DEI and kind of organizational design, uh, leadership coaching, cultural strategy, just the whole all of the interesting pieces of um, people work, but very zeroed into challenger brands and, and the folks who build them. It's kind of our it's kind of our deal for now. Big plans for what we want to do going forward, but oh, I'm sure it's where we're at. Yeah. So, so you're not you're not a busy person at all. Uh, you know, I'm just chilling. You know, nah, just, you know, sat nice. here. I can see you're on the beach right now and drinking the, <laughs> drinking a mai tai. It's, yeah. Um, but <laughs> no, great, great. Uh, yeah, you y'all you do a lot, and it's it's such great work. Before we get into all that and talk about you what led you to found black unicorn and and really do this work we gotta do the check-in the red yellow green check-in of course for the first time listeners i know you're not so this is gonna be a repeat for you do this check-in to see how we're coming into this conversation and really level set and it's not about trying to change your state it's just about understanding so we have a deeper understanding of where we are right now in this moment so red is you're just distracted. You, you're, not, you're here virtually and physically, but you're just distracted. Green, you're 100%, 150% ready to go, fully here. Yellow is somewhere in between. And you can make up colors. Your colors are just representation. You can throw in shapes. You don't even have to have a color. You can just do shapes. You can do whatever you want. You know. So use that inner self and just where are you right now coming in? I'm loving the range there. I'm loving like the how fluid the concept can be. This can be shapes. It can be interpretive dance. It can be your favorite Marvel character. Like you know, whatever represents hey, where you're at. I'm let's feeling do it. it. Right. <laughs> I'm a. If you asked me this question yesterday, I'd probably be a fairly hard red. Um, I'd say I'm somewhere in between, kind of yellow and green. Now I think now you've got going I'm feeling much closer to, to green and just energized by just being on the podcast speaking with you like you know just getting into the things for real like it's, it's a sunny day over here in London that's a rarity that helps but yeah I'd say I've probably you know kind of in between amber and green a little distracted you know for some good reasons and bad some bad reasons reasons I haven't seen my mom for like two years she lives in the states and she's going to be coming over to the UK uh, we're coming over to London I think in the next week or two so I'm kind of like excited kind of anticipating that anxious like it's been a crazy time and obviously been so long since I've seen her so like stuff going on with like family and friends you know things that you're kind of working through plus just trying to yeah like iterate business plans and strategies and as well as just stay like do the work (laughs) actually like do you know stay on top of your actual you know staying on job so 
It's been a lot. This week's been, and not even to mention again, like I know this won't translate as as much to as many folks in the US, but England losing the Euro final, not ideal, like whatever, but the fallout from England losing the Euro final. Yeah. So the very, as soon as it goes down, you know, three black footballers, you know, unfortunately not scoring penalties in the penalty shootout and me just despairing with each miss because you immediately go to the, and maybe this will come up in what we're going to talk about, right? But just simmering under the surface, like, is this, you know, it's 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 the nuance of how race plays out in the UK is, is it's, I guess it's interesting everywhere, but immediately that kind of volcano erupts and it's the racial abuse. And it's, again, completely predictable if you're paying attention, but just, you know, any following of England as a football team for a black kid is challenging because mm. all of the baggage, <laughs> which is a lot of, but just, you know, that fear that any of the players who resemble you making a mistake and being that scapegoat and having that additional baggage and heaviness, add, you know, applied to them. And I'm an Arsenal fan and the kid who misses the final penalty is like a 19 year old Nigerian kid, you know, Nigerian heritage. I'm of Nigerian heritage from West London. I grew up in West London. He's basically the better version of me. Like he's playing for the club I love. <laughs> he plays he's, for Arsenal. He's a different version of you. He's the, he, no, he's better. He is the T, if I'm Arnie, if I'm the T, what is he, the T1000? Like if I'm the oh. Arnie one, he's like the liquid metal guy. Like he's, oh, you're bringing tricks. Like <laughs> you got upgrades. Um, so, you know, I love the kid. He's 19. He's doing amazing stuff. And then he kind of steps up to take the last penalty, which I think is too much pressure for a kid his age. Misses. I mean, and you can just see him. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that, right? So I think the beginning of the week was heavy where we all knew about the racial abuse that was going on. You know, black people just being... some A black person was just thrown in the river by, like, a gang of white people after the wow. game. Like, you know, it's like crazy, you know, keep Man. lock your kids at home. Don't let them be out in the next couple of days. It's kind of a little wild out there. So yeah, all of that stuff, I think, kind of put me in the red. Now, um, you know, between amber and green, um, it's kind of where I'm at now. Here, yeah, yeah well, I mean, wow. It's going to let that... Sorry, it's heavy. <laughs> nah, nah, you... you it's heavy and it's real, right? Because mm -hmm. this, you know, you, you already talked about the, the simmering, right, and kind of the nuances of, of race in the UK. And also from your stories, like, the similarities... Mm. right of how race plays out in the states and in the uk yeah you know and i'm sure the obviously there are differences but there's i think there's some has more similarities than we like to and we're able to notice um mm. when we're in our own space but we will get to that <laughs> um let's let's just talk i mean you already started a little bit you know west london ex-footballer like so let's let's just talk let's just know you a little bit more about who are you <laughs> what is yeah let me better question what is your origin story oh okay origin story um i guess it starts before me so um particularly with my mom she like i mentioned earlier she's from nigeria originally um we're of um Ibo, well, or Kwale more specifically, but we're, we're of Ibo heritage or ethnicity, tribe, whatever word you want to use. Um, when my mom was like, one of my earliest memories as a kid was noticing my mom had a kind of scar on her ankle, maybe when I was maybe four or five years old, and asking her kind of like, what's this? Like, why do you have this scar here? She said, oh, like, mom got shot when she was a kid and they left the scar. And when you're a kid, you're kind of like, who shot my mom? Why? Yeah, like, what, so what do you much. mean? Like, it's a lot to deal with. Like, you're just not ready. But yeah, like, um, there was a conflict in Nigeria, um, the Biafran War. Um, my mom was a, an infant in that, in that era and, you know, tied around her mum's back. Um, very traditional, you know, carry your kids on your back, like wrap your wrapper around your, around your torso and carry your kids on your back. Um, running from conflict, um, when my mum was like one, maybe two years old, she caught a bullet in her in her ankle. Um, so the origin is like, and I start with my mum, like my mum raised me like I um, don't have, I, I wasn't raised by my, my father. Um, so 
that's not to say he's not a part of the origin story, but like focusing on mom because that's my mom and who mm-hmm. um, I grew up mm-hmm. with and who raised me. So yeah, like she's displaced. Her origins are displaced Nigerian woman fleeing from the part of Nigeria that she would have called home as an infant to another part of Nigeria. Uh, she has a lot of, you know, things in her, her background. Her mom left when she was very young. So she was also kind of, you know, left by her mom, left with her, just her dad and then her stepmom, um, kind of down the road, difficult upbringing. You know, the, the stepchildren are treated a little differently to the children, children by the by new mom, stepmom, who obviously kind of rules the household. And yeah, my mom's just kind of had to figure, fig, fig, I can swear, right? You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Left, this is, the podcast name is to. Left Unsaid. Don't try <laughs> not to, just do, do Ask you. Ask silly questions. Um, yeah, my mom's been figuring shit out from, from, from Jump Street. So she's always like forged her own path, maybe kind of eschewing expectation in you know, society and background and so on to a certain extent. And she made the move to the UK in a late teen, like, you know, 18, 19, 20. I can't remember exactly her age. Meets my father, who is from the Gambia. Um, he's half Gambian, half Sierra Leonean. His mum's from Sierra Leone. Um, but he moved over from the Gambia to the UK. So my mum's story starts in Nigeria. My dad starts in the Gambia. They meet in London. Um <laughs> I, I'm a surprise that pops up at some point and yeah like that relationship broke down between my mum and my and my dad when I was st- like I think before I was born even but um yeah like very mobile grew up in West London but moved around a lot I think I count seven or eight moves before I was 16 again all throughout West London mostly but around the around the houses yeah parentified child my therapist tells me. Um, I have two siblings who are quite a bit younger than me. Um, so, and I'm the eldest. So, you know, you, you're a single mom. You're, you know, not a, you're a working class kid growing up in, you know, social housing in London and like the council estates and stuff and the high rises, you know, you internalize, oh, it's me and mom against the world. Like we need to, we need to be about it and like protect our little, our little family. The only other thing I'd add, like my mom's quite isolated. Like, again, there's not a lot of, on a big family support network for her so she had to figure out a lot for herself even over in the UK and yeah just crazy upbringing my brother and sister they have a different dad to me they have the same dad but different dad to me he enters the scene when I'm quite young um not the nicest fella pretty abusive kind of an alcoholic lots of stuff going on from an abuse and violence point of view in the household pretty young so again part of that parentified child thing like I've had to look after my mum in some ways from a very young age so you know you kind of grow up quickly yeah I a lot of things in my kind of early life you know like I was I think I've, I've said this on other podcasts before I've been quite open about it but I was also sexually abused by a neighbor I was left with when I was like five or six years old in that estate and that led to us actually having to move to a hostel um in another part of London for a little while so even that like living in a not a cool interrailing you know kind of going across Europe hostel in Croatia like no like a hostel hostel yeah. um, <laughs> like what the word actually means yeah. <laughs> so just like crazy like craziness and tumultuous but you know, just us doing our thing, having to figure things out. Ongoing thing with my stepdad, you know, kind of in and out of the family. That eventually, he was kind of removed permanently at by the time I was probably 14. But amidst all that, just trying to figure it out with all of these moves and all this, you know, busyness. I was always academically quite a fairly high achiever. Um, so that's the one thing I always knew from a very young age. Um, then I started playing football or soccer when I was maybe seven or eight years old. Funnily enough, like the Euros we've just seen, Euro 96, which was hosted in England at the time, was probably my gateway into mm, like, okay. oh, this football thing's popping. Like, this is this is me. Let's go. Yeah, like I went to like a the local comprehensive state school, you know, like public school by okay. US kind of vernacular for my, for um, high school. And it was always, you know, played like county level um, for football like those kind of regionals you know play county level played for local football clubs and were in you know was in their academies so I was doing okay like on the football front but also getting my grades doing my thing then my mom found out about a private boarding school in a place called Horsham which is in a place called West Sussex which is in a place called Britain <laughs> <laughs> thank, 
thank, thank you. You're like, what are these things? You're like, what is he saying? <laughs> Which is what I said when my mom told me. I was like, what part of West London is Horsham in and how do I get there? Because the world, if you told me the world began and ended, like began in Hammersmith and ended in Fulham, I would have believed you because I'm 16. And no, like I went to this school, basically the whole ethos, you know, not to, I'm already going on, but basically if you would benefit from a private school education, but you couldn't ordinarily afford it, they would prioritize you. You would, yeah. you know, 60% of the kids when I went paid no fees at all. It's like 30, 40,000 pounds a year fees. It's like an old school founded by King Edward VI in 1553 or whatever. And with all these connections to the Lord Mayor of London and to the Queen and all these old weird things that we still have institutionally in this kind of weird country that I live in. And um, yeah, so I went to, went to this school, very, even more like kind of diversity in it than the, the state school I went to in some ways, like, or at least equal. I think just because you can't tell black people that there's a school where you get private education for free <laughs> and that not spread through like the church on yeah. the Sunday. Yeah. Like... <laughs> so like, you know, you're like, oh, okay. There's a lot of Nigerian kids here. There's a lot of Ghanaian kids here. There's a lot of Jamaican kids here. There's a lot of, okay, I see what's popping. I see what's a lot of, lot of Indian kids. Like, yeah, this is, that tracks. That makes sense. Like education's kind of up there. Yeah. So did, did the two years there. Like, that was a blessing because I always did, you know, well, at the school I was at before, but just a different level, the way they focus you at boarding school and also being out of, you know, this is like the early noughties, it's like 2003, 2004, where again, the levels are different in the US, but there's like a energy in the UK, especially at that time, like you look at someone the wrong way, they pull a knife on you, you step on someone's trainers, they pull a knife on you, you look at someone's girlfriend, they pull a knife on you, like, or maybe you don't see the knife, like it, it goes from zero to 100 really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which I saw myself like another trauma, (laughs) not to make this like a trauma porn, but like when I was back on my Easter holidays from boarding school before my A-levels when I was 18, like a neighbor, a friend of a neighbor who I knew around the way basically was stabbed outside my house. And I was like first responder, like just trying to, you know, put pressure on the the wound, call the police, call the ambulance, get my mum, like on all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, like I learned the next day, he he didn't make it, which was crazy because he was still talking and busting joke and like just cracking jokes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the ambulance tried to cut through his trainers to take them off. And he was like, no, not my crepes, not my trainers. Like, don't take them off, man. Like, don't cut them. Um, and I was like, oh, he's going to be okay. Like, Mike, he's going to be yeah, okay. Yeah. And then the next morning kind of heard how that played um, out. And sorry. it's crazy. Thank you. It's crazy. And the, and the people who did it went to the school. Well, two of them went to the school that I went to yeah. before I went to the boarding school. So it's weird, like there's just a different, en- the weird energy in London at that time. And anyway, through all of that, went to the boarding school, had the chance to maybe play football or soccer. Like I had a, an offer of a, 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 um, a trainee contract with West Ham, which is the football club I was in the academy at, at the time. But again, doctor, lawyer, engineer or accountant are the options. Yep. Mum, lay on the table. Yep. And then you get the scholarship to the private boarding school. It's like, <laughs> football, we don't do that here. Like, that is not <laughs> that is not the priority. So yeah, like went to this school and they encouraged me to apply to study law and ended up um, reading law in Oxford. And yeah, just got through the three years there. Tough, tricky, tricky time, tricky experience. Weird place. I really wanted to go to a college in London, but you don't turn down Oxford. So got through that. And yeah, at that point, it's like, okay, cool. Kind of been, I don't know, like floating on this, you know, boy done good scholarship at the boarding school, Mm -hmm. you know, read law at Oxford. Managed to get a training contract offer from a big corporate law firm, Clifford Chance. So at that point, it's like, cool, I'm on the conveyor, but I'm doing the things I need to do. Then I met a recruiter who was going to help me get a paralegal job, who was the first person who just spoke to me on the level where instead of just, you should be a lawyer, go forth and lawyer. That is your <laughs> go and lawyer now. Lawyer. <laughs> like, come back when you have ISTAS and you're a lawyer now. <laughs> Very like, let me know when you're doing things. This guy was just like, yeah, let's talk about life, traveling, football, philosophy, video mm-hmm. games, superheroes, like just the whole crazy Venn diagram that is like where I sit in the middle of all these different interests and experiences. So he had the same conversation we had the first time we met. But <laughs> you like, yeah, you are him. Literally is like, yeah, yeah. So like, let's talk about everything. Like nothing left on set, unsaid. Like Carl is forever on brand. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> legit. Um, but no, like he, he turned around, he used to be a lawyer himself and he was just like, hey, I don't think this is for you. I think big corporate law firm, a magic circle law firm as they call it, which is just kind of a made up thing. You know, the magic rhombus school mm-hmm. of witchcraft or something, or some Harry Potter thing. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, go do that. He, he told me it wasn't going to be my thing. I realized very early it wasn't. It was just that kind of silver spoon, born to do this thing you'd expect in the UK. Like there's not a lot, the social mobility here is quite locked into class. Like you're from a particular class if you're doing things. That's just how it works here. Um, yeah. So you're the one standout. Like, no, I don't care if you went to like, if you didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge, like that doesn't make me look down on you. Like, I don't care if you're a legal secretary instead of a partner, like, or just doing our thing. Like, I don't care. Like, just live life. So did the two years, firmed it, got through it, even though it was tough and long hours and soul destroying, but toughed it out, you know, qualify. You can always go back and do it. The recruiter that I met founded his own recruiting firm at the same time that I finished up my training contracts and was like, want to co-build a startup recruiting company with me? And I was like, okay, sure. That sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds like a crazy yeah, thing just, to let's do. Let's do it. Just yeah, like, why not? <laughs> so yeah, like two of us in a co-working space in London, kind of building up the company to, I think, 30 or 40 headcount by the time I left and kind of carved a niche within real estate and co-working. That was kind of where my division was. And I took on all of the internal legal stuff and all of the, you know, HR and people stuff and hiring and all the things we were doing there. Just like kind of brand, kind of community building with our stakeholders, with our candidates yeah. and our clients. Then enter WeWork who are a company that some may have heard of. Um, Never heard of them before. (laughs) What do they do? Broadly co-working, but like I feel at points in time, the answer to that has been more complicated, like a school, (laughs) living, (laughs) like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I won those guys as a client and then they were talking about, hey, we we want to bring somebody on board to lead talent primarily for our international markets as we continue to grow. Um, and eventually asked me to join um, as head of talent for International. So I did that. On my first day, the head of people for International told me he was leaving. And on my second day, he left. And I assumed his role too. So... All right. That's, yeah. Like, I read the Glassdoor reviews. I knew what was happening. I knew what I was joining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew, you know, embrace it, the chaos, man. So, I mean, it seems like you're forever taking on responsibilities, taking mm. on roles of leadership. Whether they whether you go for them or whether they're just bestowed upon you, right? And you have the entrepreneurial yeah. spirit as well. And I, you know, I want to just jump to Black Unicorn, mm. right? And I'm sure we're almost there, but I, I'm yeah. a little, I'm, I'm an impatient person sometimes. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I just need to get, I just need to know what's happening like, because it's <laughs> good stuff. Because you know, you, your your upbringing and your kind of like path to find this kind of talent space i'm sure it's all shaped like Mm. why and how you want to create black unicorn the way you did so talk a little bit about just like what black unicorn is and why you created it the way you did based on Mm. what you're what you're seeing your experience you know, at, at WeWork and, and Law and just all the other companies that you've been through that we mm. are skipping over right now. Um, uh, why Black Unicorn was created the way it is. I think, I think like, it sounds a little bit cliche, but I kind of wanted to build what I needed. Because I think a lot of, I, I think a lot of what you said there makes sense in terms of running into positions of responsibility. Um, and kind of, more often than not having to figure things out by myself. So I had to figure out office politics in a corporate environment just by myself. I didn't have father figure, father, big bro, and you know anyone who'd been in that space. I just had people rooting for me saying, this is what you need to do. But no one's telling me how to survive it and navigate it and thrive in it if you can. And then I had maybe the closest thing to that working at the recruiting firm I mentioned, because I had a mentor in the, in the founder who actually took an interest in me from before me even joining the company. So that helped me have someone to learn from and to not mimic, but kind of, you know, put your own little pizzazz, your own spin on how to approach this in a way that makes sense and bring to the table what you can and just have the space to to make that work. And yeah, I, I think the myriad of experiences that like then the first, let's say inverted commas, tech 
startup like joining WeWork <laughs> or like a super scale up at least if not yeah. really a tech company whatever that means like just yo this is crazy this is international I've got stakeholders in the US I've got stakeholders in Europe I've got stakeholders in Asia like I don't know where power lies like is the general manager of EMEA my boss not really is the global chief people officer my I don't know like what are you trying to do this is the right thing to do but there's resistance from these guys we're selling this amazing experience to members and customers but I don't know what we're doing for the team and there's a dissonance Mm. there and I don't think that's really where it needs to be and all of these different things I think that's a big part of it and then I've always like the ethos behind Black Unicorn has always been to kind of reimagine and reinvent culture in the workplace but beyond as well and that's what led me towards a lot of these challenger brands where I think that's where the attraction was. You know, I it kind of ties into the last of the bridge from WeWork to where, you know, to Black Unicorn. I left WeWork to work with Casper as their VP of Talent for Europe in Berlin. And they approached me about that position. I was like, oh, okay, like I'm not the co-working guy. I'm actually the challenger brand guy. Like Casper mm. in a different category, different business model, but they're a well-followed, well-revered interesting brand in 2017 at this time especially and this is interesting but also I was approached by these other brands you know I was approached by Glossier I was approached by HelloFresh by Harry's about global VP of people and all these like really interesting jobs and that's what kind of you know I guess I guess gave me the confidence that if you're trying to build companies that shift the narrative culturally even by one percent in culture at large then you have to be open to and, in, and have the same kind of expansive thinking, the same energy when it comes to your workplace culture. That has to be that same sense. Whether it happens or not, you'd hope that you can latch on to that sense of, if you're about it, about it, you know, as Glossier and democratizing beauty and doing this and doing that, or as Bumble and, you know, putting women first, having women take the first step and take control in their lives, you know, in this white supremacist patriarchy we all live within and so on, like... That's interesting, but what does that look like in the workplace? And how do we actually do the work that's needed to be about that in the same way internally? So that's where the opportunity was. And also just people who kind of bring on board the kind of mind who thrives in that environment. Like, what does that look like across different identities and different backgrounds? And just that misfit energy that I think brings you to that kind of world. Like, how are we creating opportunities for everyone to have access but at the same time, everyone who has that energy and that vibe to have access, to know about the opportunities, to resist the, no, be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, mm-hmm. and maybe go be chief marketing officer eventually at wherever. And that's just an, another amazing career path. Um, so I think that's where, that's what convinced me, I would say, to actually kind of, okay, there's a market for this. Let's do this. There's a real opportunity. And, and something that I think only, that I felt only I could do the way that I wanted to. Other people can try and do it, but it's like a secret source and like a like a zhuzh where it's just like, no, you can do the same thing in a different space or you can try and do it in this space, but not the way that I do it. So I think that interest helps light the spark of, oh, it's Black Unicorn. That's the, that's the thing I need to, that's the beginning. Black Unicorn begins. That's the thing I need to build. Yeah. So that's kind of the origin story, so to speak, of, of BU and yeah. Yeah, no, and I think, I think I love the whole like, what you're saying about like, oh, if you're, want to be you know this change agent in the world you have to also be a change agent inside your company and vice versa right it's like if you're going to be a change agent in, in your company how does that actually become a change agent in the world which kind of ties into like what you know where, where we started 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 talking about like you know the nuances of race in the uk and the us mm. and how and what role do companies have in that especially these companies that are you know have such impact you know yeah. by what they say and do we can get there I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you know you mentioned a lot of brands that are you know well known probably all over the world right sure. some are probably based in the in the states some are based you know in in, in europe some based anywhere and i'm curious because be you and I'm going to say BU and also say Black Unicorn because BU <laughs> is also Boston University. It's well known here and I'm sure other yeah. things in, in the <laughs> States. But so Black Unicorn, the other BU or the better <laughs> BU. Who knows? <laughs> see? Um, <laughs> is there, where do you see, you know, the working 
kind of across regions and across countries. Like, what do you see as mm. some similarities or differences in the challenges that you face when working with like a company based in the U.S. versus one that's based in, you know, Europe? I will. I'm going to preface me saying what I'm saying here with admitting my own biases, maybe in terms of being a little jaded by the UK and Europe and the energy here. I think one of the first things to kind of like highlight in my experience, and I think there are so many ways, I think a lot of people would relate, and I think there's a lot of examples where it bears out, is just how much further ahead the conversation is, and it has to be <laughs> like by default, but just how much further ahead you guys are with the conversation around around race, around gender, but you know, especially race, I would say, um, in the US. I think there's something there just around especially in the UK, like, you know, maybe across Europe to an extent, but especially in the UK, because there's a large, there's a huge melting pot of people in the UK. I mean, when you're the big imperial force of yesteryear with all of the colonization under your belt, like, you know, it's basically the UK versus France for like who covered the most ground. Yeah. Um, kind of makes sense that when you need your country rebuilt after the Second World War and you invite people from Britain, which is everywhere, that where they rule in the 40s, you know, so Jamaica, Nigeria, Ghana, like the list goes on, India, etc. Um, people come through and people come to the mothership, so to speak, probably with grand views of what they want to do. So like there's a big and now generational cohort of, and that's and even that's like not doing, that's doing a disservice to the history of, you know, different folks coming to, to make, make lives for themselves in the UK. You know, it goes further than that, especially in places like Liverpool and Bristol and so on. Yeah, like I, there's just something there where it's not peaceful in the UK or Europe, especially in the UK, but it's quiet. It's like a quiet mm. getting on with it kind of thing. Whereas there's no, and the US is actually quite helpful, I think, to UK, the UK and Europe, because it's easy to write any issue about race, particularly when it comes to black people, as an American thing because it can always point to the levels of the extremities of like the violence and the disenfranchisement and all of these things. It's like, oh, we're, we're, you know, like it, we're not as bad as Yeah, Americans. I was about to say, it's like, <laughs> we're not as bad, but then when you told, I mean, you just told a story about, you know, a gang of white people throwing a black person into the river. They'd you come know? for a football match. Like, Over a football match that that person wasn't, he had nothing to do with. Literally. So, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, this whole we're not as bad is just like, what? And also, what is that? Like, what is, like, you know, like, who, what abusive partner turns around to their partner and says, well, you know, I, I don't beat you as severely as my neighbor, so stop complaining. Like, probably, don't beat me. All, like, what all, are you doing? All of them. All <laughs> oh of them God. say that. Okay. This is true. This is a good point. Like, and I should know this. I always say Britain is a gaslighter. Like, the UK is a mm. gaslighter. It will lie in your face. It, and it will be very charming. That's part of the issue. It's kind of, it will offer you a cup of tea metaphorically speaking, it will offer you a cup of tea while shanking you in the gut and then like look you in the eye and say, but what's the problem? I, I offered you a cup of tea. I, d I don't understand why you're, why are you bleeding? What's wrong? It's like, oh, it's because of the violence you're inflicting upon me. Like that's, that would be why. Like it's kind of, it's wild. So the conversation is just stifled and it become and now in the culture wars of 2021, it always, I almost disengage from it to a certain extent because it becomes this content ecosystem where, you know, is Britain racist is the question. And a bunch of people come to a talk show and they debate whether Britain is racist. And then a bunch of, you know, loud kind of Fox News type white folks yell at some black people on TV and we don't get anything done. <laughs> and we pretend, it's, oh, just, there's no issue here, it's fine. We're not as bad as America, allegedly. So it's all good. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so it seems like things are, are pretty similar. <laughs> well, I, I, literally, I always say, like, in many ways, compared to UK and the US specifically, like, the same thing plays out, just the extremes are different. So if you want, like, where is the education system, the, you know, state-provided education system probably, you know, the weakest probably in the world, or, like, underfunded, under, you know, focused on? Probably the US. What's the worst in Europe? Probably the UK. Not even probably, the UK. Where do we, you know, um, sort of incarcerate um, black people at a 
exponentially disproportionate rate to particularly white people, but the rest of the, the population as well. In the US is crazy. There's a whole, you know, industrial complex around it. Where's next? The UK. Like literally every metric that you look at by like how a society operates, like the US will at its worst be like, okay, cool. It's, you know, if you're not balling, if you're not the right identity, you've not got money in the bank, etc. It's hard out here. But then like the next place is the UK. where mm-hmm. <laughs> The same. So it's, it's just plays out. There's a nuance to it, but you know, where are black people disproportionately stopped by the police far more than any other group? Like, okay, the US for sure, but like, who has, where's next globally? The UK. Right, so, right yeah, everything plays out the same. It's basically the UK invented like <laughs> racism in a lot of ways and exported it to the US, and the US kind of went wild with it at a certain point, but. Don't forget, like, who taught? <laughs> like, where, who, who wrote the first, oh, who wrote God. 1.0? <laughs> so, so many just, like, not, not cool analogies we can say off of that. Yeah, um, it's so, true. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, because, like, as we talk about this, it's, like, I always come back to think about, like, you know, because especially after, you know, 2020 in particular, but the decades mm. and centuries of violence against black bodies in the United States, yeah. and then including other people of color as well, right? We've seen mm. an uptick in, in Asian violence you yeah. know, recently uh, in the States. There, there's been a lot of pressure on brands to do, brands and companies, right? To do more, right? Yeah. And, and, and your role with, with Black Unicorn and helping companies, and even what we said, like, you know, if you wanna do this, like you gotta do it in both places. Mm-hmm. Like I'm curious from your point of view, like where do you see those the the role of brands and companies in you know like we saw it, we saw it with like even like you know Naomi Osaka saying like yeah. I gotta go for for mental health reasons and some brands being like no and some brands being like yes and it's <laughs> like where do you see that role and how do you how, how do you help companies with that yeah um. It's 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 an interesting one. I think I always look. To, I always encourage companies to kind of look at what their brand positioning is, what they claim their brand values are, who they show up for. Like, what is you know? There's a clear target customer in some. It's a psychographic, but in terms of demographic, it's clear who Billy are targeting. It's clear who Bumble are targeting, right? Um, and I'm a big believer in you espouse these brand, you know, these um, values and what your mission is and how you show up. I think there's a way that you can kind of, what I try to help brands do is extrapolate from that brand position and that community they've cultivated and look to translate that into kind of a cultural manifesto, a cultural sense of, okay, cool, but this is how we show up in the workplace. This is how we're consistent driving performance, but driving diversity, inclusion, people feeling like they belong, actually equitably looking to make advancements internally based on who we are and also the challenges we see that you, that you can kind of pull from just wider society and, and how, how, what the, what the sort of landscape looks like. I'm also a big believer that people should slay in their lane. Like I'm a big kind of, it's, you kind of need to know what you're about, about and commit to it 100%. If you try to be everything to everyone all of the time, like it's, you know, it, and it falls into the performative kind of space of like, oh, we're just, ticking the box of the logo being changed to this mm-hmm, thing now or mm-hmm. but like what are we doing though like are we what are we, what's actually happening so i then like I, one of the things i try and encourage brands to to do is like well speak to the people in the team and I, I help them do that in a way that's like protected and safe and you know the information's kind of locked away and can't be you know prejudiced or used to um for any conscious or subconscious kind of backlash from anyone within the company, any higher ups or anything like that. Not that I believe with the brands I work with, that would especially be the case, but humans are humans. You never know. Um, but look at it like, and let's get nuanced with it. I'm not afraid to say, I, I remember it being talked about a lot at WeWork, you know, how many women were within the team and how we actually have more women within, you know, the teams that we work than we do men. And we're this like amazing kind of, you know, pin up child for, progress being progressive and so on and then i immediately look at it and it's like okay but like which women though and also mm. like at what level of leadership and are, are we as abundant with you know women in leadership positions as we are other positions no are we as abundant in technical positions no and where are we seeing the majority of them 
oh, in the spaces, like providing the hospitality right, and services, the customer service yeah. where women are overrepresented for all of the patriarchal nonsense reasons we can like think about when you get on a flight, think about cabin crew, think about restaurants, think about hotels, like people just seem to like to be served by women, it seems. And, you know, having a business model where that's where the majority of your um, staff is and then kind of like espousing, oh, we're so amazing. We've got so many women in the workplace. It's popping. It's so cool. It's like, cool. Like, talk to me when there's some black women in this piece. Like, talk to me when there's some queer black women or trans black women or, you know, other people other people of color or whatever it may be and show me them at leadership level and show me them in the technical roles and don't just show me them in the hospitality roles and the cx roles because that's where under this you know once you understand the rules of the game then you can kind of it's almost like people are offering you currency that's out of date it's like being offered francs instead of euros it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can kind of go no i don't want, we don't accept this anymore yeah. like once you're at that point it's kind of a you can't bamboozle me with with foolishness like and under when you know that when you understand the rules of white supremacist patriarchy you understand that the people the first people that you fire in a in a clutch are the black folks are the women are the disabled folks are you know all of these different things Mm -hmm. we know that so it's not a surprise when it happens we know that well we want our cx team to be lean we want them to be cost effective we can maybe talk about folks who are going to be really energetic and enthusiastic about opportunities, maybe because they've internalized a lack of, or a lack of abundance of opportunity. And yeah, like not having a low paid CX team, mostly consisting not of Chet Hunters, of of (laughs) Chad Gunderson from Connecticut is not surprising. That's the rule. That's the point. That's the matrix operating as designed. So You know, it's kind of helping to encourage brands to think about that kind of thing as well and actually equitably make improvements in, you know, in the technical roles. And what does that look like for you? Like, where are you struggling? And how do we actually open up opportunities, deal with the internal issues that are blockers, but also how are we contributing to the pipeline of emerging talent being developed and increasing as well? I mean, there's no, there's no one, one answer for all that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have so many more questions and I know we could talk and cause we have talked for hours about this, <laughs> about this, about video games, about Marvel versus DC, about yep. so much. Boys got range. Listen, <laughs> get you a guy that can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would love to continue this, but I got to go to therapy soon. So, <laughs> I w- I'm going to ask uh, two two more questions. One is all all you just said about like how you help, right? And you you are Jason Ture. You are the founder of Black Unicorn. You have a, a a way in to the to the folks who need to hear this. How does how do you know maybe someone who just started at their job or has been in there, you know? couple years on that cusp of like you know mid to senior level and really you know wants to find a way to say this stuff but mm. you know maybe he's having a little bit of, of trouble Ooh, how to kind of empower them to, yeah. to speak on it or yeah hmm, that's a good question um i think that the abundance of like possibilities, opportunity, potential lies in folks who will at some point internalize that kind of experience or been in that kind of position, whether they're in it now in their career or earlier in their career, more likely because of their identity or background could have been or actually were. And I'm a big believer in Yep, we all know you've got to play the game and all these different things that we understand. Like, you know, you've got to survive this key but or survive this paramount. But at the same time, all of the creativity, all of the zhuzh, all of the energy, all of the magic comes from folks who have had to play the game of life on expert mode and are increasingly in rooms with folks who have been able to play it on beginner mode. Like, Hmm. who's going to be able to defeat the final boss? 
Like, who's got the XP? Who's got the experience points? Who's got the levels? Like, it's going to be the folks who are like, oh, no, but I'm about about this. Like, I've kind of defeated, like, lions and dragons and stuff to be here. And you're meant to be here. And that's great. Like, you could also be extremely talented or you could also not. And that's fine. I'm a big believer that we should all have equal opportunities to be mediocre, not just exceptional. Mm. Like, we should all be able to just get along in this life. Like, if you want to, you shouldn't have to be exceptional just to be in the room with folks who might not be. So I think it's the belief in that talent and that potential and the outlook that comes from that. Like, that's where... That's why you see things differently. That's why you see things before others do. So I think what I would say is to like believe in that confidence and to have faith in that secret source whilst also being able to play the game. Like you see it a lot, generally speaking, like, you know, I think you and I have talked about it. Like it's, you can't be in the forest just yelling at how awful things are. You need to be in the game. You need to be in the ring. And you have to kind of operate within the systems we have. It's very righteous to be out in the forest and, you know, do your thing and just say down with capitalism. You know, it's, it's, it's the ghetto. Like late stage capitalism is the ghetto. It's terrible. Like this is not fun. There's no number of stuff I can buy that is <laughs> my PlayStation five is not going to make late stage capitalism. Okay. It just won't like flights to Miami and so on. It's not going to do it. It's, it sucks, but it's what we're in and you have to have the faith in what you bring to the table and the confidence to really make the impact that you can, but also know how to play the game, understand the system that you're within. So I think the main thing is to speak to that confidence. Like, you know, you know that within yourself. I think we are all leaning into that misfit energy that I'm not going to be what everyone tells me to be. I'm the divinity I have in me, in my experience is what is extra is what is special. And that's what I'm going to have faith with, but I also need to like, play the game where I am. So making the right judgment calls, speaking to the right folks and yeah, kind of knowing when to, when, you know, what hills you need to die on. There are some hills you just need to die on, right? There are some things that need to be said, things that need to be done, things that need to be moved on. Um, But I'm a big believer that the burden of responsibility probably falls on our shoulders, right? Folks who are kind of like, you know, I'm, I, I will put my job on the line to a certain extent because like I have enough credit in the bank in this organization to like, yo, I will like on my head be it if that doesn't play out, but we need to do this and we're doing this now. So we also need to step up as some of the senior folks who have, you know, kind of got to, or closer to senior folks, you know, we're still young bucks, but you know, <laughs> a little bit more experience on, <laughs> on some other guys. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is, that is great, great advice that I hope that I know folks will be will be taken to heart for the last thing we usually give folks one minute mm. i know i know it's gonna be tough for you but <laughs> we're, we're gonna give you one minute to kind of like <laughs> one last word one thing that you know you want to leave everybody with um you know like like the the title says make sure nothing gets left unsaid so mm. you got your minute go i think the main thing I would want to say, like I kind of piggybacking on what I just said, you know, previously, I think survival is key. And I'm a, one thing that's been really important for me in the last maybe nine months or so is managing, protecting my energy, protecting my peace, you know, optimizing for joy, as well as putting in the work, as, as well as, you know, showing up for the people around me, my community, the things I care about and the people in my life. And we can't, I'm someone who often thinks in a very fixed way, like I am this all the time. I'm kind of increasingly through my therapist. So, you know, like, you know, my, my therapist is putting in work on me as well, Carl. Um, it's so like, much you, work. it's so much work to do. It never stops. Um, but yeah, like you don't have to be fixed. You don't have to have all the, you're not one thing to everyone all of the time. And it's so, I just think, I don't know, not to be too like, you know, macabre or anything like that, but like hypertension is real, you know, financial risk is real, like, and disproportionately affects some of us more than others. And that is societal. I really get frustrated when people say, oh, you know, black people are higher risk. I'm like, not because of genetics though, like, because the world is really hard on some of us, man. Like, it's hard to like Um, do this. All of us. You know? Yeah. Bet. Um, 
so yeah, just that sense of pick your battles and be discerning with your time, with your energy. You need you, your family need you, your friends need you. Survival is, you know, is is key. And there are the right times and moments in the right... Like, be strategic. Be strategic with how mm-hmm. you kind of make your impact. Um, because, you know, sometimes a scattergun approach, sometimes engaging in everything, doom scrolling, whatever it is, that's actually weakening you. If, you, if, if you're a soldier in this game, you're weakening that soldier. We need you, like, in the phase that you need to enter the ring and be that person. We need you. So look after yourself. Um, but show up and and do your thing you're 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 a soldier you can do this yeah that that's great it reminded me of two things one i gotta shout out jonathan jackson for introducing (laughs) us because i remember he spoke at uh the face of talent which is like mapes big end of the year end of summer event Mm, yeah and he said flat out like my mental health is non-negotiable and nothing is going to take precedent over that no job no nothing so I remember that. And then I what you did, the last part you just said reminds me of something my coaching mentor told me when I was like, yo, I'm trying to do all this stuff. He's like, think of it like a bonsai tree. You mm. got to prune and cut to make the base stronger. So if it's 100. not making the base stronger, you got to let it go. Yeah. You got to cut it off so that it just doesn't look good, but it's a strong <laughs> core and everything is feeding into that core. So I agree with you. And this has been such a great conversation i know we could keep going forever and we'll sure. we'll have other conversations that the listeners won't won't hear <laughs> yet maybe i don't know maybe we got we should do something in the works left on the cutting room floor <laughs> yeah <laughs> but man i i really appreciate you coming out spending some time with us um sharing your story sharing what you're doing at black unicorn and your thoughts on on just everything that we talked about yeah so thank you like honestly my pleasure like i'm so like thank you for for inviting me on like i say like big just love what mape stands for i've learned so much more through the podcast like i I wasn't so familiar my ignorant self on this side of the pond um and now i'm just like yeah this is like you see you see the impact and you see the value um i just didn't know about it like it wasn't something i knew of knew of and didn't value i just didn't know um but now you know and you're the number one fan of the podcast there you go there you go so 100 so that's no, how thank it you works. for having me on uh, of course um anytime and you know thank you for all the list to all the listeners for spending this time with us and until next time